Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. I'm loving the spirit of joy this morning. That's what I feel... I felt as I walked in through the doors and I'm just seeing all of your beautiful smiles. I love, I always love, that's why I always love coming up here a little bit before you guys finish the mingling because I just love to see the community, the hugs, the smiles. That's what life is all about, just enjoying and being in the present moment. You know, just this week, I was admiring a beautiful butterfly. For some reason, I always, the butterflies just always come to me. I always see them flying and just being their beautiful selves. And then I started thinking, why is it, why can't we be like the butterfly? Why can't we just spread our wings and just be in the present moment and live in our true beauty? You know, so often we want to be somewhere other than where we are or somebody other than who we are. But the butterfly doesn't care about that it was just in the cocoon not too long ago. The butterfly doesn't care that it was a worm, a caterpillar. The butterfly doesn't care that it's only gonna live up to a year because one species of butterflies, they, the longest life is a year. So they don't even live long, but they enjoy their beauty. They are fully embracing of their beauty. And the same is true for you and I. Why can't we do that? Why can't we just embrace and be in our beauty and not wanting to be anywhere other than who and where we are. So today's Centering Prayer, I want us to just embrace our truest beauty. And you know, when I saw Sasha and Milena singing up here, I had that same moment that I had seeing the butterfly. I saw the butterfly in her when she was singing, when they were singing, I just saw they were just fully being themselves, fully in the moment, fully embracing, fully showing all of their beautiful colors, all of their beauty. So. Another thing that I realized with the butterfly is it has no judgment, no judgment of others, of itself. When we judge, we separate ourselves from others and from God. So this morning, I want us to just sit in our beauty without any judgment, without any tension, without any stress, without anything that's holding us back from being our truest self in this moment. So let's all get into a comfortable position. We're going to begin by taking a few deep breaths together. We're going to go ahead and inhale together. And we're going to go ahead and exhale. Go ahead and inhale. Go ahead and exhale. Take one more deep breath together. 
as you take this exhale, I want you to release any tension that you are holding on to. Step into the unknown. Step into the beauty of God's peace, God's stillness. Be like a child in this moment, not caring about the person next to you, not caring about what's coming next, not caring about what anyone thinks of you. Release all of it. Be here right now in this moment because this moment is for you. Honor yourself by being here right now in this moment. Release any shame. Release any anger. Release any judgment of yourself. Release the anxiety you're holding on to. And just be still. Be one with God in this moment. Your truest beauty is by simply being. You don't have to be anything other than who you already are. You're a perfect image of God already. And nobody can take this away from you. If thoughts or judgments arises, simply observe it and let it go. You are here today with purpose. Your life is meaningful. you are is enough. You are not too much. You are always enough.
If you feel uncomfortable with silence, maybe ask yourself why. When we are silent and still, that is when we are the nearest to God. We can listen. In these moments, we are reminded that we are divine. We are one with God. We are not separate. We are not separate from one another. These moments remind us that peace is always accessible to us. Sometimes we just need to slow down. We're constantly running, moving, trying to be somewhere other than where we are right now. Be here now. be at the next moment if you're not here. Honor yourself. Release any control that you have in this moment. Be at peace. beautiful butterfly. Be free in this moment to spread your wings and show all of your beauty.
We can only show our true beauty when we are fully ourselves. you to repeat these affirmations in your head. I am loved. I am love. I am worthy of love. I am worthy of receiving love. I am worthy of giving love. whole exactly as I am. Who I am in this moment is enough. I can sit with myself because I love myself. Whenever you're ready, we're going to take a deep breath together. And exhale. Whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and gently open your eyes. I love you all. I hope you have so much peace today and for the rest of your week, know that this peace is yours. Nobody can take it away. Love you guys. Good morning. Wow, we got a full house today. That's nice. Man, y'all thought Danny was preaching today. Ha! Psych! You know? <laughs> uh, so great to be here with you guys. Um, Mind, uh, before we start, can I actually pray? Lord, thank you for this day, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you for everything you've done for us, everything you're doing for us, everything you're going to do. But even regardless of all that, we thank you for you. We thank you that we can trust that it is in you that we live, we move, and we have our being. So Lord, I come to you with a request in this moment. I fervently ask you that you would
allow me to decrease so that you would increase. Silence me so that silence can teach this morning. We love you and we thank you. Amen. So first off, it's my mama's birthday month. <laughs> she actually turned uh, 29 again this year. <laughs> now, mind you, you would wonder how is it that a woman could give birth to a man who is now 28 and an older brother that is now 38 and yet still be 29, but essentially favor ain't fair. So yeah. Today's message is actually something that is very near and dear to my heart. I'm gonna be talking about building an anti-fragile belief system. For those of you who know me, who have seen me up here, um, oh, and by the way, quick disclaimer, like I said, for those who've seen me up here, y'all know I cry at least one time when I'm up here. You know what I mean? It's, it's just what happens, the muscles of facade. Like, I'm, I'm soft, I'm soft like Charmin, so it's gonna come out, you know, but just once, I'm not gonna go crazy, you know? But um, for those of you who know me, I've referenced this, uh, this story before that when I was 21, six, seven years ago, I was actually driving on the highway and I was going through a lot mentally, you know, I was experiencing chronic depression and I found myself considering suicidal ideations. And I was like, why don't I just drive off the road? And the only reason I didn't is because I saw my mother's face. And I said, I can't do it. And I said, if I'm not gonna do it now, I gotta be definitive about it. I have to be binary and say, either I'm gonna do it now and be done with it, or I'm gonna figure it out and I'm never gonna come back here. And so I chose the latter. But the reason why I bring that up today is because what I've come to learn in hindsight, that even though everything I was experiencing in my life felt so real, what I was suffering was actually my own belief. It was that which I believed that was causing my pain. It was that which I believed that was causing my peril. Yeah, sure, there was real stuff out here that was causing you know, discomfort and hurt, but I'm talking about suffering. Well, you don't wanna be here anymore. And so I'm simply verbalizing this to say that if our belief system is that powerful that it could take us to such a low state, where could it take us if we flip the script? And so question today, this isn't something that you have to answer externally, but within you, you know, how many of us deal with things like anxiety, overwhelm, stress on a consistent basis? You know, research shows that people tend to spend an average of 70% of their lives in a state of stress. And so when I think about these kinds of emotions, these negative emotions that impact us so thoroughly, when I think of them as a metaphor, I, I picture a shaky house, a house that isn't sturdy, you know, one that has flimsy construction, a poor foundation. And it's like, that's a lot like those negative emotions because it is that instability that causes us to be in that state of fear and that state of discomfort. But when we flip that, I think about a sturdy foundation. I think about a sturdy house, 
you know, a metaphor for that could be like building a house on solid rock. And there's actually a scripture about that, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Matthews 7, 24 and 27, through 27, excuse me. That's okay. I got it right here. I'll read it all. It's story time. That's it. Let's see. We don't see it? That's okay. We'll work with it. Matthew 7, 24 and 27. It's essentially talking about the fact that our faith, that which we utilize as our belief system, it's like it is built on a foundation. And if you build that foundation on solid rock, you have that stability, you have that, that, that firmness. But if you build it on sand, then it's going to come apart. There's going to be an utter weakness to that foundation. But when we apply that, not only in a physical sense, but in a conceptual sense, regardless of whether or not a foundation is physical or conceptual, regardless of that, it's still the truth that an unstable foundation will lead to destruction of the structure that is built on top of it. That which is founded, that which is maintained and supported by the structure, by the foundation, if the foundation is unstable, then the structure will be inevitably destroyed. But when we look at the foundation of our belief system, when our belief system is shaky, what happens? We start to feel unsafe. We start to feel like we can be easily influenced. We start to feel reactive. And when we feel unsafe, we become prone to violence. We can easily look at people whose lives are in jeopardy, people whose back is against the wall. We can even look at animals. We see that they become their most ferocious, their most dangerous when their life is at stake. We can even look at it from the biological perspective that it's shown that when we're in a state of fear, when we think our life is at stake, the blood leaves our cerebral cortex, which is necessary for high level thinking. It goes to our arms and legs so that we can run. It goes away from the viscera, which is a key part of our body that's necessary for healing. And it causes our thinking to get narrow and it causes us to be ready to battle. But the question becomes, what causes our belief system to be shaky? And the answer is, anything that doesn't fit into the pretty little box that we designed. We love to have this very attractive looking box that we call our belief system. We like to take all the things that look good and all the things that feel good from where we were raised and what our parents taught us and you know, what, what seemed to be valuable to us or just what seemed to be logical. We like to create the static box that we call our belief system. But the second we face something that challenges that, the second we face something that feels uncomfortable or foreign, now it's a problem. Is there any surprise that we and humanity have waged countless wars over our beliefs? And the thing is, our beliefs are basically what we think we understand. And there's this beautiful and simple definition of understanding that I heard that's basically 
Understanding is the truth you stand under. And so if the truth you stand under gets challenged, gets questioned, it makes sense that we'd be scared, huh? Because it's gonna fall right on our head. And it also makes perfect sense that that's why we engage in something called ideological seclusion. I remember when I went to college and I had a friend of mine that was a, uh, I'm trying to remember the specific name, but they were basically like, they are majoring in religion. They were majoring in world religions, there we go. And I remember thinking about it and saying to myself, I would be uncomfortable at the time if I were to major in that. And I had to ask myself, why? Because I'd be facing things that were foreign to me. I'd be facing things that didn't feel comfortable. But here's the thing. If you are seven feet tall, 300 pounds, are you going to be scared of? Well, I mean, maybe this is a bad depiction because we all hate little insects and stuff. We'll definitely be scared of that. You know, but it's like, if you imagine a, a powerful entity and it's facing a very weak entity, does it have to be scared? No. So why are we scared of things that are so foreign to us? Because we know that there could potentially be validity to it. We know that there could be something about it that holds power, that holds truth, that holds value. But that's scary. It's scary because if something comes in that uncovers or invalidates the completeness of my belief system, and I acknowledge that and ultimately have to step out into the unknown as a result, I risk meeting a God that I don't recognize. I risk seeing God, seeing the world, seeing myself as something I no longer recognize. And we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to face that. So we fight for our beliefs like we fight for our survival. But the thing is, fighting for our beliefs actually is us fighting for our survival. Because here's my question to you. If I were to remove everything you believe in, if I were to remove your categorizations of saying, oh, I'm a Christian, or oh, I'm male or female, or oh, I'm a mother, or oh, I believe in this, if I removed every one of your beliefs, who are you? Who are you when you take all of that away? This, what I believe, what I consider my faith, this is an identity issue. Y'all are quiet in here. <laughs> That's either really good or, uh, oh no, I guess I'll find that afterwards. <laughs> but this is an identity issue. This is saying that what I believe is so intimately intertwined with who I think I am, who I think God is, and how I think this world works. And so all of that is simply to say, that so many Christians that we see, the reason why there are so many Christians whose behavior often reflects the antithesis of Christ is because their faith is in a state of survival. And so we, we have this responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to the world around us to create 
a belief system that is effective, a belief system that causes us to be the manifestation of who it is that God desires for us to be. A mistake we make, though, is we think that we should have a strong belief system. Let me make a belief system that is sturdy, that is firm. But that's actually not true. Because strong and weak actually have a pivotal similarity, which is both of those adjectives are defined by their breaking point. If I have a weak piece of wood and a strong piece of wood, I'm not saying that the strong one is unbreakable. I'm just saying that the amount of force necessary to break that one is higher. But I'm still aware that it can be broken. And when it is broken, what is going to happen? Instead, the true goal, the intention that I have in speaking today is helping us to develop an anti-fragile belief system. Because the difference, the differentiation between things that are weak and st or strong and things that are anti-fragile is something that is anti-fragile. When it is tested, its strength is revealed. And the more that it is tested, the more its strength is revealed. That is the benefit of something that is anti-fragile. And so when we create an anti-fragile belief system, we're putting ourselves in a scenario to be sturdy, and to not just be sturdier, but to be able to bend with the storm, to be able to bend like a bamboo shoot in the middle of a hurricane, and that malleability is actually its power. And so today I want to talk about, there are three key truths that are fundamental to an anti-fragile belief system. Firstly, is that wisdom is inclusive, not exclusive. We have this tendency of when we think we understand what the truth is, when I feel really confident that I know what the truth is, I think that that excludes alternate perspectives. That if I know I'm right, if I really feel like I know I'm right, and what you have to say contrasts or differs from that which I think, I now can say, since I know I'm right, I know you're wrong. But that's not how it works. There's this concept called manifold wisdom that is referenced in the scriptures. In Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What is manifold wisdom? Have you ever seen people do origami, where they take a piece of paper and they fold it up? So when I think of manifold, I like to have this internal depiction of taking a piece of paper and folding it back and forth onto itself. But what is manifold wisdom then? You could say, oh, okay, so there's multiple pieces of folded paper. That means that there's a multiplicity to the wisdom, that the wisdom is expressed in multiple different ways. But you, could, you don't have to have the paper folded on top of itself for that to be the case. You can just lay the pieces next to each other on a table. But if the paper is folding onto itself, 
it's saying that you can have separate truths that are still equally justifiable answers to the same question. Kind of like this. Every one of you guys right now is sitting in a chair. I would be crazy if I asked you, so is that chair solid? You'd be like, yeah, dude. Are you, are you okay? <laughs> you know, you need some medicine? Of course it's solid. Okay, you're right. I'm sitting on it, I'm not falling through it. But now, what if you were to shrink me to the size of an atom and I were now to look at this chair? I'd suddenly realize that this chair is 99% empty space. So is it solid or is it empty space? Both are equally as true simply based upon your perspective. Whatever, your, whatever perspective you're moving from, that's what you're going to see. And I actually have one more way that I'm really excited. Y'all know I love to bring science into this. I have one more way that I wanted to depict this to really drive it home. There's this concept called multiple worlds theory, which is basically, this has to do with wave functions. If you were to take an atom, you're aware that, okay, atoms have protons, electrons, neutrons in them, right? It is impossible, <laughs> thank you. It is impossible for me to say wholeheartedly that I can know at any point where an electron exists within that atom. Because I can't grab a point and say, there's the electron. Because by the time I measure it, the position changes. So as a result, the only thing I can say is the electron exists somewhere within the wave function occurring in the atom. I know you like this, Phil. <laughs> it exists somewhere in there. And so if I say, okay, what about that spot? I can say the likelihood that is there. But there's also something true of atoms and electrons is that they can exist in superposition which is that it can, a single atom can exist in multiple places at a time. One atom could be here and in China, but the second I look at the atom, the second I measure it, it's now held in place. And so one of the ways that we ended up learning about this was they took an experiment, they had an experiment where they took an electron, electron spin, and they sent it through this energetic field. And as it traveled through this field, it would either go up or down. Since it's spinning, it could only spin up or spin down. And they kept sending electrons through this field. Up, 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 okay. The electron is spinning up. But when they looked at the wave function, the wave function showed that the electron was going upward and downward. But no matter how many times they sent it through the field, they could only see it go up. So basically what that was saying is, we know it's going up and down. We know it. But I can only see it going one way. And that right there, oh, and by the way, <laughs> the multiple worlds theory is, there is a very strong likelihood that there is another reality in which there is also a version of us that is looking at the electron except it's going downward. And so basically, when we take that, but we simplify it and we bring it into this concept of our belief systems, 
It's helping us to understand that our limited perspective creates our limited beliefs. That the things which we can see that we're so confident and quite frankly so arrogant about saying, I know what this is. You know what I learned in Bible school? You know what my parents said to me? Do you know what I saw? As if my one piece of anecdotal evidence can be related to all of existence. <laughs> it is an arrogance in us that is saying, I know. But it's only a representation of my limited perspective. But last piece to say about this. The reason why this is practical to me, the reason why it really matters to me, is because I'm a person where I'm a thinker. I'm an overthinker. I'm a super overthinker. Like, if I had a superpower, it would be, it would be that I could think your face off. <laughs> Not productively, <laughs> but I will think your face off. Like, don't, don't play me, you know? But the thing is, I have, I struggle to let go of beliefs that I feel really confident are true. When I'm trying to tell myself that I am worthy, that I can do it, that I am capable, but I'm looking at my past and I'm looking at my track record and I'm saying, yo, you screwed up. <laughs> you out here looking messed up like a criminal rap sheet, you know? How can I believe that I can do it when I don't have prior experience when I don't have a prior indication that I can. I don't have anything in my mind that I can say with evidence that this new thought I'm trying to manifest about myself is true. When I apply this, it's telling me that what I believe, this disempowering belief I have, can be true. But its truth does not exclude God's truth. Its truth does not exclude Jesus. It does not exclude when he says that I'm the head and not the tail. It does not exclude that he says, I know the thoughts I have towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. I told you all. <laughs> It means that I can relinquish my beliefs when they don't serve me. Because even though they're not, thank you. <laughs> because even though they feel true, I can tell God it's in your hands. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> An effective belief system is eclectic. Something that is eclectic, I want to give you guys the exact definition here. Something that is eclectic means, eclectic means, deriving ideas, style, or taste from a broad and diverse range of sources. Think of it like building your faith around a comprehensive curriculum. If something is eclectic, that means, okay, it's taking things from a wide array of sources, from a wide array of places, right? And when we apply that to our belief system, it's saying that I understand that my belief system's completeness 
or rather its incompleteness, will be reflected in the incompleteness of the data I use to develop it. That if I simply use my tiny little amount of experiences that I've had and decide to apply that to life, it's not eclectic, it's, it's limited. And we can even apply this when we think about uh, studying, you know, there's a scripture, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, where it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth, needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the scriptures are saying, study to show thyself approved. We usually think that just means, okay, read the Bible a whole bunch and memorize what it's saying, memorize the prayers so that when, you know, a pastor, somebody comes up to us and questions us, oh, okay, I'm, I've studied, now I can show myself approved. <laughs> Man, we're funny. <laughs> Whereas, I'm, I'm the son, I talk about my mama a lot, y'all need to get over it. I'm the son <laughs> of someone who is masterfully scholastic. She is a professor among many things, but I value the importance of studying. And one thing I've learned is that studying has two major elements, which is that when you are effectively studying, it should be a dynamic process. You never just learn it. If you get a license in anything, Miss Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, if you get a license in anything, you're going to find out how annoying it is that after you study to get that thing, every one or two years, they're going to be calling you up. Oh, it's time to renew. Oh, just take this little comprehensive exam and this 12-hour course to dust up on that which you know. And it's like, fool, I paid y'all $3,000 and six months of studying. What do you mean I got to do that? because it's a dynamic process. Because if I got my degree in 1960, I'd be a little behind in 2021. Second thing, not only does it need to be dynamic, but studying is eclectic. We have to take from a wide array of pieces of information. When I study neuroscience, as one of the courses I'm in now, I'm in a neuroscience course. And we got to learn, one person, right? <laughs> I know you lying, because that class is terrible. I'm stressing out, you know? But it's like, we got to learn about all the different parts of the brain, the mammalian parts of the brain, the, you know, what they refer to as the lizard brain. It's all different stuff. And so when we take that and we bring it into our belief system, our belief system, if we want it to be anti-fragile, it needs to be constantly moving. It needs to be dancing. It needs to be constantly open and available, an open system, so that it can take in new information that we're presented instead of shunning it and saying, no, I'm good. It needs to be eclectic in the sense of it needs to be at least open to taking in information that we didn't receive inside our camp. So when me and Danny are at the gym, <laughs> every other, we, we, hit a, we hit a workout, and then he gets up and he goes, man, I was listening to Byron Katie the other day, bro. <laughs> and if you were to listen, we talk about scripture, obviously, but we talk about Byron Katie, Eckhart Tolle, Tao Te Ching, and that's not sacrilegious. That's saying that we're aware, or rather, we're not ignorant enough to think that God is in one spot. 
I can't say that God is not omnipresent. <laughs> Excuse me. I can't say that God is omnipresent, but then talk about him not being over there. I can't be the chosen one <laughs> and then be surprised when God is over there healing folk because he is all and in all. I can't go anywhere and not find him. And so as a result, instead of trying to fit God into my limited belief system and trying to fit God into my reality, I need to realize I need to fit reality into God and fit my reality into God. And that's where we find some real power. One, one last thing. Oh, this was an important one that I want to throw in. Talking about this whole concept of being eclectic, one of the reasons why it's really important is do you realize that your personality, like that which you define as yourself, is largely created by such a tiny collection of experiences? Emotion is one of our greatest teachers. You could take the 15 most emotionally impactful experiences you had within the years of zero to six, a span they call the hypnagogic trance. Why? Because your brain is literally being hypnotized during that time. So that time span creates a large amount of the mental psychology that you call yourself later in life. But during that time, if I were to take the top 10 to 15 emotional experiences that impacted you, you would find such a large percentage of you was molded by those things. And so there are certain things that we believe so much about life. <laughs> and then we mess around and go and have a deep meditative experience. And we have you know, a, a deep experience that allows us to go far into our subconscious. And we find something that happened to us when we were five years old. And that's the reason we don't trust people. That's the reason why we're so antagonistic towards others who disagree with us. <laughs> And that is limiting, but it's also a reflection of one of our weaknesses. We have this habit of employing something called heuristics. This is something that I think you'll find really valuable. A heuristic, the definition of heuristic, any approach to problem solving that uses a practical method of, or various shortcuts in order to produce solutions that may not be optimal but are sufficient given a, giving a limited time frame or deadline. Basically what it's saying is the process with which we develop our beliefs, the things that we feel are so right, the process we actually use in our brain is called a heuristic, which it's not based on optimization. It's not based on optimizing our beliefs, it's based on expediently creating beliefs so that we can feel safe. We take in the data we have thus far and we scurry to create a belief about something. Because if I don't know what to know about it, then I don't know how to engage it. And so what that's saying is so much of our perception of self, so much of our beliefs are actually created through urgency rather than correctness. And so let's just step back. Let us just focus more on being open than we are on being right. Because if we focus on being open, then God will bring the increase. 
It's not our job to know. It's our job to shut up and be open so that God can bring the harvest. God said, I will chasten you. I will bring wisdom. It is not you that brings wisdom to yourself. It is love that does that. And so the final point is an effective belief system uses utility as its North Star. Have you ever seen people who are just so spiritual that it's just not practical? You know, you see somebody after church and it's like, hey, what up, homie? Hey, you trying to go to brunch after service? Mm, I'm full with the spirit of the Lord. <laughs> I am always satiated in him. Be like, all right, bro, cool. Do that for three weeks and let me know how you're feeling. I don't think you're going to call me because I don't think you'll be able to dial your phone. As a matter of fact, we could even go into the Bible. We could go and look. When Elijah was, was hungry in the desert, God had the ravens bring him food. God had the ravens bring him bread. Why? Because God loves practicality. God's like, listen, I know that you my disciple and everything, but my bruh, you gonna die. <laughs> like, pray to me all you want, but you gonna die praying. You know? <laughs> so I'm gonna have the ravens bring you some food because practicality is vital. So our beliefs, they have to have a practicality. We gotta be able to use it. It has to be good for something. So many times we have beliefs and we don't even know what we have them for. We just believe them. Do you know what a belief is? Literally, I'm talking psychologically what a belief is. A belief is something that you have rehearsed, a thought you've rehearsed so many times in your head that you now believe it's true. That's all a belief is, repetition. And so, so many beliefs we have, we just repeated them, but we don't actually know why we have them. We should really, and this goes in line with having a belief system that is dynamic, we really would benefit so much from understanding what beliefs are serving us and what beliefs are disempowering. It's okay that I have it. I don't need to judge myself for that disempowering belief. But now that I see it, now that I've brought awareness to it, I can choose to go about the process of negating it or developing it or, or evolving it but I don't have to sit with it because it doesn't have the practicality that I need. But the interesting thing is, and I'd really like for you guys to hear this part, every belief we have actually does have a value to us. Every one of our behaviors actually does have a value to us. There are so many people that are obsessed with a state of victimhood that are constantly talking about that which they endure. And it may very well be true because we all go through stuff, but they might be in that state of victimhood largely because it serves them a benefit. When I see people who are always talking about what they're going through, I'm talking about always, and it could be a new thing or it could be the same thing over and over again. I just, it just makes me wanna ask, 
what is that doing for you? And they say, what? Nothing. I'm saying, no, it's definitively doing something for you. You know, you can get the tallest building in the city, and that's how you have an ego about yourself. But you can also feed your ego by having the lowest building. If you are the biggest victim, you can also have an ego about that. We think an ego is all about this. No. <laughs> this can be an ego, too. And so when we understand that every belief has a purpose, we really need to start auditing our belief system. Why do I really believe this? Where did it come from? What is it doing for me? Is it empowering me? Is it allowing me to feel like a victim so that others can come to my aid? Maybe I don't feel like anybody notices me. Maybe I don't feel like I matter. But when I show up weak, when I show up incapable, now people feel sorry for me because of their sympathy. And so if I don't let go, if I let go of my victimhood, then who's going to love me? Maybe that's why. But audit that belief system, because when we get to the core of why I do what I do, and not judgmentally, because it's not about, oh, I'm doing it because I'm a jerk or I'm an a-hole. No. <laughs> it could just be that's what I've learned. But because I've never brought awareness to it, I never had the opportunity to change it. But now I can. And so my question is, are you bold enough to get to the heart of you? Because when you get to the heart of your beliefs, you're getting to the heart of yourself. And when you start to change your beliefs, you start to turn you into something else. But by the way, y'all, that's the only way that we change our lives. Because if you want to know how I could define your personality, I'd be like, well, for a start, you could look at your life. 95, by the time we're 35, 95% of who we are is a program. It's a program set of thoughts, behaviors, choices, experiences, emotions. If I just look at the consistent outcomes you're getting in your life, I could largely tell you about you. And the same thing for me. Trust me, same thing for me. <laughs> I got some consistent stuff, you'd be like, yup, that's that fool, that's, that's him. But when I audit that, and I allow myself to be malleable, I'm now giving God the space to come in and make me a new thing. He said, I will make you a new thing. He didn't say, I'm going to make you a better you. Y'all are talking about that. Y'all are talking about self-improvement. He's talking about self-transformation. That's why I got this on my arm. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. I'm not trying to be a better me. I'm trying to be a new me. I'm trying to leave that old stuff behind. Amen. And so in closing, if we were to translate this, a tree, this concept of utility as a North Star, and understanding that what we believe has influences on who we are. It has influences on how we show up in our lives. It's basically saying that a tree, metaphorically, is measured by its fruit.
Luke 6, 43 through 44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from breers. What is this saying? It's saying that our belief system, its practicality can be measured by what comes out of us. That what we, the way we behave, the way we show up in the world, that's showing what we believe because what we believe is a key element of who we are. And if we are able to understand the use of utility in our belief system, we can apply it this way. Number one, of course, what value, what utility does my belief system offer for me? But also, what utility does the version of me created by this belief system offer the world? What utility does the version of me created by this belief system offer to be used as a vessel for God? That if I'm aware that what I believe is defining my power, it's defining how I can be used for good in the world and also for my own well-being, it makes me realize, wow, I need to look at this thing differently. And that, I believe so wholeheartedly, I believe that that is what God is calling us to in our belief system. God is not calling us to have this rigid, defined way of thinking and engaging with the world. God is calling us to be open, to be thoughtful, to be surrendered, to be humble, to be hungry, to be willing. And that is how we become anti-fragile. Because as we become malleable to those storms, not only is it protective, but it is powerful. And I will leave you with this, that I promise you, God doesn't care. God couldn't care less what you think about what happened to Jesus if the way you show up in this world is not Christ-like. You could believe all of the best sounding stuff if you check off all the boxes if God were to ask a question at the end, it's like, how are you living? Are you loving? Is he, is, he, is he being expressed in you? Do you believe in him? Okay, cool. But is he expressed in you? Are you living like him? That is the practicality of God and the practicality of having an anti-fragile belief system. Thank you, Hartway. <laughs>